Kaiju FM. Come find your niche. Hey folks, and welcome to this episode of The Prestige, a podcast by film lovers for film lovers. My name is Rob. I spent the best part of my life working in the British film industry, making movies big to small all around the world and getting elbow deep in the technical aspects of filmmaking. My co-pilot on this episode is Sam. He is a very well-educated man, I'd say. He's read more books than I've ever thought about. He has more degrees than any man should have. And he brings the weight of his academic knowledge to this show. Between my technical skills and his theory skills, we try and piece together what movies mean to us and what they're trying to tell us as well. We always end the show with some what we call further reading, which are movies that we link to the movie of the week, inspired by movie of the week, films that we may think are a better watch than the movie of the week. And we always start off with what else we've been watching, the movies, books, TV series that we've enjoyed outside of our required reading for this show. So Sam, do you have anything else to talk about? Yeah, I do. And I hate to be that guy who's just switched on something that everyone else has been watching for years. Um, and for a long time, I was the one in the office who had not seen Line of Duty um, so they all had in-depth conversations about this um, among my um, colleagues at work. Cut to this week, and I'm just about to start season five. So that's what I've been. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I've been doing. Fair enough. Um, yeah, it's it's really good. It's uh, well, I didn't tell anyone it's really. It, it is, um, and he, I think I was put on it because I. My wife and I watched the second series when it came out, and it was good, but it didn't really make sense in isolation. And I think we just got bored and didn't stick with it. And going back, and if you watch the first series, second series, third series, it kind of make it makes a lot more sense, and it makes sense as an overarching narrative. And I was really enjoying it. I kind of didn't want to watch season four because seasons one to three were just a really nice little narrative arc and it felt like it had finished there but I was persuaded to keep watching and I'm glad I did because it's great so that's what I've been watching this week I've been watching something that everyone else in the world has already seen before well, if that isn't our just our modus operandi, I don't know what yes. it's getting into things. I am currently wading through Death in Paradise, which is a ten-series show that was. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I should watch that. So, yeah, my uh, watching this week is a stand-up comedy special. Um, I'm pretty sure the way back when I recommended the first specials this comedian did. Um, it's James Acaster. He is a very funny British comedian who, if you've ever seen. Mock the Week or Pointless. He's on all these shows. And he had a Netflix special, four specials, a couple of years ago. Um, and end of last year, he released a new one. This is a direct release. Um, you can buy it directly from him, I think, on Vimeo. Um, and it's called Cold Lasagna Hate Myself 1999. 
Um, and it is a very deep exploration of his mental health issues, his relationship to the comedy, his relationship to the audience, and what he entitled the worst year of his life. Um, I'm not going to go too much into it because as a comedy special, you want to go into it kind of knowing as little as you can. But I think he's probably my favourite comedian working today in the running there. Um, and I would hands down recommend this to anybody who is a fan of comedy, fan of offbeat British comedy. Um, I think it's very, very, very good. Um, and I will evangelize for it as much as I can. Um, yeah, so Cold Lasagna Hate Myself 99, which is a weird name, but it makes sense. It's, yeah, it's really good. It was actually before the world ground a halt. Mm. It was the last thing I saw live. Ah. Um, I saw it at the, when he did a tour last into 2019 and then, and last in 2018, then it did a, like a, a, reprise into 2019 and then he released it on on uh, Vimeo I mentioned man, that was very good live it was it was really good I, can imagine. Ah, I didn't know yes. that oh yeah no I watched that this weekend I thought it was amazing it was really good so we have not come here to talk about James F. Gaster, although I'd quite like to do that um, our film this week is the 1994 Disney animation The Lion King You're all connected in the great circle of life. Walt Disney Pictures presents its all-new 30-second full-length animated motion picture, The Lion King. He was born to rule. This will all be mine? Everything the light touches. But a shadow lies over the kingdom. I will be king. Run away and never return. No! If you ever come back, we'll kill you! Hey, kid, what's in you? I don't want to talk about it. He looks blue. I'd say brownish gold. No, no, no. I mean, he's depressed. Anything we can do? Not unless you can change the past. He grew up hoping to leave his old life behind. I know who you are. You're Mufasa's boy. You're the king. King? Have you got your lions crossed? You know my father? Correction. I know your father. He died a long time ago. Nope. Wrong again. He's alive, and I'll show him to you. Father? You are my son, and the one true king. You see, he lives in you. You must take your place in the circle of life. Simba! It's a legendary tale filled with excitement, <laughs> plus dozens of wonderful new characters. Why do I always have to save your... Ah! and featuring original music and songs by Grammy winner Elton John and Academy Award winner Tim Rice. Walt Disney Pictures presents an entertainment event you'll never forget.
The Lion King is, well, it's it's the Lion King. Everyone knows the Lion King. Um, is the story of a young lion cub who is a prince and the heir to the throne, and he is um, involved in the death of his father. It turns out at the hands of his uncle, and his uncle persuades him that it's his fault and he needs to run away because the uncle himself wants to take charge and rule the kingdom. Um, so the young lion cub Simba flees, and it's about um, his life outside the kingdom and about whether or not he wants to come back when he's asked to return to save the kingdom. Um, it has an, an excellent voice cast. It has Matthew Broderick, Jeremy Irons, Ruby Goldberg, Rowan Atkinson. It also has a particularly memorable score. Elton John won a number of awards for his original music um, and there'll be in I found myself humming these these some of these songs afterwards so and particularly for someone my age who was, who was prime Disney watching age when this came out I was I was 10 when this came out um, this is something that everyone certainly of, of my age will be entirely familiar with so, Rob, what are your thoughts on returning to The Lion King? I think, once again, with this miniseries, it's very hard to talk about my thoughts on this movie because, like you say, I saw this film when it was released. I saw this film when I was 12, and I've seen it probably dozens, if not hundreds of times since. I watched it a lot as a kid. I've now got my own kid, and I watched it with her. And I've seen this film a lot so it's very hard sometimes to talk about these films in terms of like a, of a text, the idea of like a movie by itself, when it's so linked to experiences in my life. That being said, I do think this is so well-beloved and so well-respected as a movie for very good reasons. I think that, as you say, the tunes are brilliant, they are memorable, they are dis distinct. So often I find with some musicals, especially more recent Disney musicals, a lot of the songs are a bit samey, shall we say? Whereas here, all the songs stand. That The Scars song is a brilliant bit of um, writing and performance. And it's a very distinct song to oh, um, Akuna Matata. These are very different songs. And I think also it looks amazing. It really shows the power of sound animation. That you know, the modern tranche of 3D movies have something to them. But the real stark and strong power lines of this animation, it's very, very good. I think this is a very, very good film. I think there are things to unpack in it. I think there are certainly themes to explore with it. But I think it's, I would hold this up as being a very good film. I think I remember reading in my research for this that it's currently in the Library of Congress in America. They um, they put it in the, as a historical artifact. And I can't blame them. It is... When you think of like Disney animations, the peak of it, this is up there. Yes. <laughs> um, well, I'd agree with lots of things that you said there. It's it's a really impressive film to watch, and as I said at the start, and as you said, lots of the the music is particularly memorable. Um, it 
Scar's music and Hagen Matata and just can't wait to be king. Um, despite all this, despite the fact that there are, and I, I don't want to be seen to disparage, be disparaging this film just for the sake of it, because I'm not. I'm, I'm saying all this as a caveat to start with, because I do think this is, this is undeniably a good film to look at and to enjoy. I wasn't sure, just, uh, mm. I'm just left feeling a bit meh at the end. I just, it, it, it didn't feel like it had the emotional heft of something like Beauty and the Beast I really enjoyed. Um, and I know, like, forcing you to consider the merits of Beauty and the Beast versus The Lion King is like asking someone to choose between their children but i <laughs> i do i do think i did much prefer that i just and certainly in, in returning to this um i just i just wasn't sure it had yeah like i said i wasn't sure I had the emotional heft of other disney films having said that i did really i i was pleasantly surprised by how different the beginning was to me now mm. so watching this in 1994 i was totally on simba's side and i knew what it was like to be a kid and i was being um, held back from something and i didn't i kind of it was at that sort of nascent stage of i almost understand what scar is going on about at the beginning but Basically, I'm just going to bat that away because I want to be a kid. <laughs> and now, looking back on it, I really, I loved Scar at the beginning of this film, and I really disliked Simba. I really disliked this. Oh, I, I've got this, this sort of privileged attitude to my life, and this is all about the privilege of royalty. Mm. And I was totally on Scar's side. I was like, well, it, of course he's going to be like that. Why should I mean? Something, a line that I remember from 25 years ago is, um, well, excuse me for not jumping for joy, bad back, you know. And I, at the time, I just thought, oh, that's a funny joke. I kind of quite like that. And and now it just feels really poignant. Mm -hmm. And it's still a great joke. It's still, I mean, the, the language of, of Scar is something brilliant to go back to. But it, it that that line had a really different resonance for me. So, as, as much as I wasn't overly enamored by the film in total, I did really enjoy the way it, it completely changed for me, certainly at the beginning. And I wasn't rooting for Scar by the end. The, the film kind of makes sure that you're not. But certainly at the beginning, I really was rooting for him. I can entirely understand where you came from there, because... One thing that's really struck me in this watch through, because already we've been going deep into Disney films um, over the last few months, is that this film doesn't often follow the same tropes as the other movies. Like a lot of movies are, like there is drama and tension and antagonists, but often it's a love story, really, isn't it? Is it you know, mm. Aladdin is about the love between Jasmine and um, Aladdin and beating the beast about their, their love to each other. This hasn't, it's got that. Obviously, the Nala Simba love is part of it. And, and can you feel the, the air tonight? It's like, that's like that's a big romantic song, but that feels very much a diversion from what the movie's really about. 
Mm. Like their their love and their romance, we call it, just feels kind of secondary. And so I don't think it has that same kind of those swelling of emotion that you get from Beauty and the Beast, where it's about the people changing and it is about the people learning the whole thing is like learning to love someone the whole point of the movie is, is trying to the change of the character and overcoming their own problems like beast overcoming who he was and big falling in love and this i'm not saying people don't change but they don't really change like they they are good people who or bad people who do all good or bad things and like Scar has an element of, I don't know, relatability to him, especially when you call a kid mm. Scar. Like, like, like you set him up to be a bad guy, but he's a bad guy who does bad things and gets punished for it. And Simba is a good guy who was tricked, but is ultimately a good guy who comes back and does the right thing and wins. The film has a very, I suppose, morality play aspect to it, in which good guys are triumph and bad guys are vanquished and there's a real feeling in this movie it's like compared to other movies where there is character change and character movement even something like the jungle book there's elements of people learning and Mowgli learning about his place and people learning to let go and i'm not saying no one learns in this but people have people end the movie very much who they were at the start they have, have, you know, the crisis of confidence and obviously Simba goes through a journey about losing his father and thinking it was his fault. But he thinks it was his fault because he was lied to and told it was his fault. Mm. You know, once he overcomes that, he, he, he still does the right thing and wins. And there isn't a crisis of confidence or isn't a crisis of morality. Even Aladdin has the kind of ethics of lying about who you are and do you come clean, all this kind of stuff. And this hasn't. It's much more of a simple, straightforward morality play. You see, I'm I'm going to disagree with you here. And Ooh, please in do. disagreeing with you, I think it makes me like the film more. Because, <laughs> <laughs> because I do think Simba changes. I think there are... I mean, Scar is a great example of someone, like you say, he's, he's a bad guy, he does bad things, fine. He doesn't change. But I think Simba does change. And I think this idea of privilege is at the heart of it because at the start of the film, he is assuming that life is going to be easy and assuming mm. that he will ascend to this privileged life and everything is going to be fine. And of course he can go to the elephant graveyard because that's what a king does. He can do what he likes. And I think he fundamentally changes by the end. He understands what it is to be a king. And he understands that he doesn't achieve things by right. He doesn't like ascend to things. He doesn't automatically earn mm. things. So I think, yes, there there are sort of more morality play characters like Scar who don't change. But I do think Simba does change. I do think that his attitude to royalty is at the heart of it. You know what? You've turned me around as well. Because I think the one thing that, listening to you there, that really struck me is the idea that, I must confess, I can't, sorry, the idea of the circle of life, mm. which obviously is a large part of this. And you're right. Like, at the start, Mephasa is trying to express the circle of life and the idea that, you know, the lions die and become the grass to feed the antelope, and that's the circle. And at the start, Simba doesn't have that. He's The, the king is just the king. The lions are just the rulers, and that's it. And everyone else lives to serve them. 
and he doesn't understand the circle, I suppose. Yeah. And you you get that in in his response with Dad, because his dad says stuff about the antelope and the grass, and Simba just doesn't understand, because Simba says, well, don't we eat the antelope? And there, yeah. there you have his failure to grasp what his dad's talking about. And his growth there is to understand the cycle and understand his place in that and that the, he has a responsibility to that, that he can't just walk away from Pride Rock. And that's where I think also Scar falls down. Like, the, like It's not like Scar brought in a time of you know prosperity and peace. Mm. Scar blinded through his own, I don't know, ambition and greed can't understand the circle either and he ends up he can't grow beyond that so he ends up just poisoning the land and destroying it and giving up to the um to the hyenas but it's about i mean it's about the simba's time with Timon and pumba his time in the wilderness i suppose to take on board the idea that he has possibilities yeah and, and i when when i was making notes in this and i was watching it, i was thinking well what simba has to do at the beginning is kind of be a bit more like Scar and mm. Scar takes it to an extreme and it's wrong and you get the the result that no one wants but he's got the right idea he's got the idea you can't just accept that everything's great for you it's it, like one of his first lines is life's not fair and Simba mm. doesn't understand that at the beginning he has to learn to be a bit more like his uncle and I think that, that that's that it's the element of growing up. It's you know, the I can't wait to be king. He's not talking about, you know, for I'm gonna. This is hard to talk about because I'm I'm not a royalist in any way. So mm. it's hard to talk about the idea of a king and royalty in kind of a, a good way. His role, his song, I can't wait to be king. He isn't thinking about the idea of kinghood as service. No, that the idea that his role, the circle that his dad's trying to teach him about. Is about yes, you might be king, but you want you want a bit not a pyramid, it's a circle. Mm. You, it goes round, and he can't see that. He just sees himself at the top, and I think that's where his time at the bottom with Simone and Pumba, um, eating bugs and living that life, teaches him about that circle, and he can come back and re-establish that. Mm. I think that you're right. He, it's that. I think the word you use there is privilege, which is a good one. At the start, he has privilege, but doesn't understand it. At the end, he's accepted that he has the privilege. He can't run away from being a lion. He can't run away from being who he is. But he can take that privilege and use it to better society, to use it to better the, the circle of life. And that's his journey with his privilege. He can't just run away and be a... No, a meerkat. He's got to still remain being the top of the chain. He's still a lion. Mm. And it's it's the original meaning of the word privilege, which is about a private law. The privy bit is private and the ledge is law, like legislation. But like in misuse, privilege is just you become a law unto yourself. You do what you want because you can. But as you said, like by the end of the film, he's understood that his privilege, his private law, is something that it, it means that he has to be fair to other people, and it's like he grows into this role by the end of the film. Yeah, I, 
I agree. I think that's that's the journey he takes there. I think that's not that you turn me around in it, but I think you've shown me a lot of the movie that I hadn't thought about previously. And uh, yeah. Now I'm going to pick your brains a little bit here because I'm hoping you've read it because I haven't. There's a lot of talk about this being a version of Hamlet. Now this this is interesting because I like when okay I hadn't read Hamlet when I was ten. I mean it will astound you to know that uh, wasn't that at once. I have now, but I haven't read it. Having known you at that age, I could believe you would have. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so I just assumed that it was true what people are saying. It's just based on Hamlet. It's kind of not. Okay. Um, it, there are elements of Hamlet included in it. The sort of the manipulation of the uncle, the ostracized, feeling like an outcast of the protagonist, um, his reluctance to engage and assume his throne. There are, I, I suppose there are elements of it, but then there are, I've also seen, um, it also draws from biblical legends like Joseph, this idea of an outcast son um, mm. who, who is scapegoated for something. So, Yes, there are elements of Hamlet in it, but not not as many as I really thought there were twenty five years ago. Is the answer? Well, I'm I'm intrigued here because like it's one of those things that I've always just kind of presumed was true. I've never I've never read Hamlet. Yeah, that was that's the thing. I I presume it's true as well, and it's thinking about it is kind of not. <laughs> mm. It's one of those things where like you have commonality of story, but they're both draw on cinema themes without being mm, yes because I know that because having seen Lion King one and a half which is the sequel starring Timon and Pumbaa that was often presented as a Rose and Crimson Guild and Dead kind of take on the story because it's about them their story of it that their prequel and their like postquel I suppose um, and I always felt that that was kind of continuing that play on it being a Shakespearean thing so it's intriguing to know that that they, that Disney kind of embraced that too with the sequel. Yes, well, thinking about it, that sort of element of him being in the wilderness with Tomorrowville is something that you could argue is is a development of the play. But yeah, it's interesting that no one has. I mean, that is such a big thing that people think. Every, everyone thinks that mm. and I wonder where it's come from because yes there are elements of truth to it but it's not so such a cast iron fact that you you would th- I mean it's it's fairly easy to debunk and I wonder why people haven't done it yeah it's, it's only, yeah do you have some recommendations for us then? I do and they're both actor related um the first is uh, talked a couple of times about the brilliant language of scar's character of the line delivered by jeremy irons um simba it's to die for i love and the band back you know it's a great line um he is similarly waspish and linguistically brilliant in Die Hard with a Vengeance um, 
which I know is one of the one of the only Die Hard films Rob is going to tolerate. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I, yes, I think it's, it's a great third film. Um, my second recommendation, not really for the film itself, but more for the actor. Um, I think that Whoopi Goldberg was brilliant in this, and I think should bring more recognition to her here. So I've gone for Sister Act, but it could be anything by her. Um, only I've only gone for Sister Act because her around the same time, give or take a couple of years, as The Lion King. Um, so those are my two for this week: Die Hard with a Vengeance and Sister Act. Fair enough. I um, got two to recommend this week. Uh, one I've already kind of mentioned, so I'm going to open with that. Um, and that is The Lion King 1.5, which is the sequel from 2004 um, to The Lion King. Um, it tell, it's basically the origin story of Timon and Pumbaa. Um, but it is told in a very meta way. Like They open by watching the first movie. Um, and it's about how they become Timon and Pumbaa and their point of view on the first movie. Um, I enjoy this in in terms of a nostalgic enjoyment, but I also think it's a very interesting thing that Disney have never really done again with their sequels. It's it's just deeply meta. It's deeply weird. Um, And it's a one and a half sequel rather than a second sequel. And... As much as I love the modern Disney, they're very po-faced. They're very um, serious movies in many ways. And this really embraces the zany, maniacal nature of it. It's got all the first, all of the cast come back from the first one. Um, it's just really a lot of fun. Um, it kind of traces through the first film. So that's my first thing. Second recommendation is Matthew Broderick. Um, a well actor who portrays Simba in this movie. He's done a lot of things, and I was toying with going with Ferris, Ferris Bueller. Um, but I thought, given where we are and given the movies that come out currently, I should actually go out and bat for the 1998 movie Godzilla. This is the first American Godzilla from the late 90s. It has not got a good rating, it is not well beloved. Uh, a lot of Godzilla fans hate it to the point where in a later Godzilla movie, the Godzilla from this film was utterly destroyed and annihilated by Godzilla. It's become a real thing. That being said, I deeply enjoy it. It's from a similar time. It's from the late 90s. So I've got a lot of nostalgia for it. But this is the film that for me kickstarted my love of kaiju movies. And, you know, we're on Kaiju FM because I love kaiju films so much. Um, this is why uh, kaiju films became part of my life, is this movie. So I can't I can't hate on it entirely, um, despite knowing its faults, knowing its flaws. So if you haven't seen it, and I appreciate there's a big Godzilla film coming out, Godzilla vs. Kong has come out currently, we are living in a whole new era of Godzilla movies. But this one is definitely worth watching, if only as a very 90s artifact like it, its song is done by Jamaraquai that's the lead song um so it's a very very 90s title but I I have some love for it I was gonna ask you actually have you seen Godzilla vs Kong I haven't I want to see it in a cinema um and that currently isn't an option so I'm not sure what I'm gonna do 
Um, because obviously by the time it is an option, it would likely have gone away. Um, so I am currently at a crossroads, and I don't know what to do. But I imagine I'll end up watching it at home if I can. Brilliant. Well, that's our episode. If you would like to get in touch with either of us about anything we've talked about today or in general, then you can contact both of us or more likely Rob because he's the one manning the account. You can find me at Kaiju FM or you can find the show at Pretty Podcast. And you can send me an email at prestigefilmpodcast at gmail.com. In between those three, you're sure to get an answer from one of us. Yeah. <laughs> and we will be back next week, guys, with, unsurprisingly, the 2019 remake, Reimagining of The Lion King by John Favreau. So we'll see you guys here in two weeks. <laughs>